This is Construction Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law. Construction Law Today is a podcast about current topics in American construction law. Your host for Construction Law Today is Buzz Tarlow. Our podcast, Construction Law Today, began in July 2019 and is now in its second season. In our first year, we produced 14 episodes on a variety of what we hope were timely and interesting topics in the field of construction law. In our upcoming season, we hope to produce similar podcasts at the rate of about one new podcast per month. As always, we welcome your questions and comments. Please let us know what you think we can do to improve the podcast. The contact information for Construction Law Today is found at the end of this podcast. On behalf of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law, thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is James Jimmy Germano, who is the manager and counsel for AIA Contract Documents. Welcome to the podcast, Jimmy. Thanks, Buzz. Thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, so I can't tell you how excited I am to be featured on here. Well, thanks for being with us. Let's start with your title. Tell me what manager and counsel for AIA contract documents means. Sure. So the AIA contract documents are usually published and sort of developed by the AIA contract documents committee, which is a longstanding committee. I could talk about sort of how that committee is formed, who makes it up, et cetera. But the bridge between that committee and the AIA itself, that bridge is is formed by about a half a dozen lawyers who work for the AIA contract documents program. And we are all, you know, former construction attorneys or architect attorneys or, you know, engineering attorneys who um, liaise with the contract documents program. But we, we are not um, general counsel, for example, for the AIA. We have a, a specific uh, set of work uh, goals and tasks, and that is to update and manage the AIA contract documents library. Tell us a little bit about your education and work experience. Sure. I was born and raised in Atlantic City, uh, New Jersey, and uh, I went to college in upstate New York at Cornell and then came down to D.C. Catholic University Law School and graduated from law school when the economy was starting to rebound from the, you know, the slump that we had in 08, 09, and got a job as a clerk for a judge, uh, a state court judge in the area. And then after that, just did some general litigation for a couple of years and then started to specialize in construction law. And I worked for a construction law practice group within a general services law firm in the D.C. area and did that for I think about four years, uh, and then came over to the AIA about two and a half or maybe three years ago now. And I've been working at the AIA as a manager and counsel ever since. Jimmy, before the podcast, you were explaining to me about some interesting changes in the way that intellectual property and the contract documents are being handled at the AIA. Tell our listeners about that. Sure. Yeah. So this is some exciting news. Um, in, in late 2020, the AIA partnered with TrueWind Capital, uh, and TrueWind Capital is a long-term growth-oriented private equity firm uh, focused on investing in sort of high-quality tech companies. 
And TrueWind uh, wanted to invest in the what we call ACD, which is shorthand for AIA contract documents. Uh, so they wanted to invest in ACD, specifically the platform and the product suite to enhance the value to members and AIA contract document customers. So as a result of that partnership, a new business entity was created, and that is ACD Operations LLC. So that's actually who I currently work for. It's important to understand that the AIA is going to continue to play a significant role in the the future and the direction of ACD and the content, the development process, which I, I really hope we talk about because it's super interesting of, of the contracts. That's going to, the intent is for that to remain the same. Uh, we're going to continue to provide high quality, fair, balanced contracts to the, the AEC industry just under this new heading of ACD operations. Now, the AIA has been around for a long time and one of the major forces in the production of these contract documents. Tell me a little about the history of the AIA. Uh, so the history of the AIA and, and the AIA contract documents specifically is pretty fascinating. So you know, the AIA was founded in the mid 1800s, I think the mid to late 1850s or so. And not long thereafter, a group of AIA members, professional architects got together and said, we need to create some standardization uh, within the, you know, the agreements that are being entered into between architects, contractors, owners. Uh, and back then, there really was no such thing as a general contractor. Everything was trade specific and the owner would just enter into a bunch of specific contracts with a bunch of you know, very specialized tradespeople. And as you got into the 1880s or so, the term general contractor was first being seen and that movement was starting to happen. So the AIA formed what is now the Contract Documents Committee to really get together and look at this problem of, you know, how do you standardize the industry now that there's going to be more quote unquote general contracting? And the way that they went about doing that is actually really interesting. Well, before we get into how the Contract Documents Committee works, I think it'd be very useful for our listeners to just get a sample of how many different kinds of documents the AIA prepares and modifies over time. Now, I know there's an extensive structure, but I'm not sure I have it all straight myself. Can you help us with that? Sure. Yeah. So this sort of goes back to the history a little bit. The very first contract that the AIA published was what was called the Uniform Contract. And a lot of people, I'm sure listening to this podcast, a lot of construction lawyers, I'm sure are familiar with what is now the A201, the General Conditions. It's one of our more popular documents. And that document, the Uniform Contract, published in 1888, actually is now what is referred to as the General Conditions document, the A201. Um, It used to be It was about three and a half pages. I think it was 13 or 14 clauses. They were all a couple sentences at most. And that's now, you know, the A201, which is, you know, around 40 pages long and very complex. You've spent a lot of time making it clearer over the years, undoubtedly. There's the A series. I know the B series relates to the deal between owners and architects. Give us an overview of the structure of how the documents fit together. Sure. So the way we describe it is we have families. Uh, we have families of contracts and there are there's about 10 families, but there's really, you know, three or four that really form the backbone of what the AI contract documents program, you know, the whole suite of documents. So the easiest way to think about it is every letter and every number 
in our agreements and the documents that we produce means something. I actually didn't really put this together until I really started working at the AIA and diving into the almost 200 documents we have. But there's A through G. And so every document we have starts with the letter A through the letter G, one of them. And just to give you a a sample and a flavor. So if it starts with A, it's an owner contractor agreement. So you're familiar, for example, maybe with the A201, which pairs with the A101. Uh, Those are both owner contractor agreements. If it's B, it's owner architect. If it's C... Let me interrupt you before you go to B's. In the A's, there is a relationship between the actual contract and how it dovetails with the 201. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So that sort of jumps into what the first number means. Uh, so when you, if we just stick with A for a second, so A1 uh, is going to be your prime agreement. So anything that starts with A1 is going to be a prime agreement and then A owner contractor. So it's an owner contractor prime agreement. And then, so within that group, we have a bunch, but then the prime agreements, um, as you probably know, are only eight to 10 pages long. That's, for example, the A101, the A102, A103, et cetera. And they then are combined with the A201 general conditions, which is a lot longer. And both of those documents, they incorporate each other by reference. Both of those together form the prime contract between the owner and the contractor. That was my general understanding. So now let's talk about the B contracts. Sure. So B is owner architect. So anything that starts with B is going to be your owner architect agreement. So the same general rules apply. So you next move to the number. And if it's a one, it's going to be a prime agreement. So B101 is going to be your prime agreement. Just like if you're, you know, if you're an an attorney and you represent contractors, you're probably used to the A101. You've seen it a lot. You've negotiated it, et cetera. You may not be as familiar with the B101, but those documents are meant to be used together. So we update them on at the same time and they are intended to be used on the same project. They talk to each other. There's references to both of them in the various documents. So very simply, you can think about it as if you have a similar number, but a different letter, those documents are meant to be used together on the same project. So A101 is meant to be used, generally speaking, with B101. It's just one's an owner contractor and one's an owner architect. I should mention to our listeners that the AIA has a really terrific website. Jimmy, would you uh, mention the address? The reason I talk about it here is it has a very thorough discussion of how the documents are arranged and these families. Sure. Yeah. Uh, AIacontracts.org. And on there, you can the tabs at the top, you can pick what you want to do. You can just view a list of all of these. You can, you, obviously, you can purchase them. You can learn about them. You can get support, uh, et cetera. And our, our learn page, which coexists with the YouTube channel we have. So we put up a lot of articles and a lot of videos actually about the contracts themselves. And a couple of my colleagues and I are working on video series now that we've dubbed on our terms. And it's a video series that we're putting out that basically just goes through, right now we're working through the A201, but we spend like five or six minutes and we just talk about one clause in the A201. So if you're litigating a case and it's about you know, 1.6, which is the notice provision. And, you know, you're trying to figure out why the A201 notice provision is structured a certain way. We have a video out there that just, it's a bunch of us who do this every day talking about why is there a comma in a certain spot? What was taken out from the last revision? Um, You know, why are certain things included and certain things excluded from notice, you know, for example. So um, I think that can be a really helpful tool for practitioners out there that, 
you know, you have billable requirements, you want to get the information quickly, and it sort of helps get into a very deep level dive uh, very quickly. Undoubtedly, we'll see those YouTube videos coming to a courtroom near you soon. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, so, so we talked about the A's and B's. Can you walk through quickly uh, some of the other alphabet designated documents? Sure. So C is the other one that you'd think of as the big sort of family of agreements. And those are um, your, it's sort of labeled as other, but it's usually consultant agreements. D, uh, there aren't a lot of D agreements. It's sort of miscellaneous. Um, there's maybe three or four D documents. Uh, e are exhibits. Um, and when you think of exhibits, it's usually things like the BIM, uh, building information modeling exhibits, sustainable uh, exhibits, things like that. F, uh, we don't publish, I, don't think, I think currently we don't publish any F agreements right now, but they actually, back in the early 1900s, I think they were architect, like architect accounting forms or something like that, which was which was interesting. And then the G forms, we have a lot of G series forms. And those are things like pay applications, change orders, transmittal letters, continuation sheets. And we, we actually just published a whole bunch of new ones in the, uh, within the last month or two uh, of the, the G series forms. And we're really excited about those. It's interesting that the G forms are uh, just for clarity to our listeners, are, are not actually contract forms, but often they become key components of disputes on projects. Give me an example of the specific types of G-forms that are out there. Sure. So, you know, something that everyone is probably familiar with and you've seen, the three most popular ones we have are the G, G70 series. So G701, 702, and 703. So 701 is a change order. Uh, and I'm sure everyone listening to this at one time or another has litigated a claim related to a change order. So you're probably all intimately familiar with the G701. And then there's the G702, uh, the application and certificate for payment. And then there's the G703, which is the continuation sheet. And those two are usually used together. So if you see a G702, there's usually a G703 stapled to the back of it, uh, listing you know all the line items for which the contractor is seeking payment. And those are the ones that we just updated. So what we, we heard from the industry, and, and maybe take 20, 30 seconds here to explain a little bit about this, because it's super interesting. The, we heard from the industry that the G702 and the G703 were very good when you had a traditional design bid build contract and a design bid build contract that was based on a stipulated sum. But if you have a design bid build contract, for example, that's based on the cost of the work, whether it's it has or doesn't have a guaranteed maximum price, those forms had to be modified a little bit. The math was a little bit different on how cost of the work payment applications are written and submitted. So what we did was we created cost of the work specific, either with or without a GMP, 702 and 703 forms. So now if, if you're entering into, not to get too detailed, but like an A102, a cost of the work contract, you now have a payment application that pairs specifically with that. It's intended to be used on those kinds of projects. So getting feedback from the industry, producing those kinds of forms, it's something that we're you know, super excited about when it comes to just you know giving the industry what it needs and what it wants. We'll be back with more Construction Law Today in just a moment.
We're back on Construction Law Today. Our guest is Jimmy Germano. Jimmy is a manager for the AIA contract documents, and we've been talking a little bit about the history of those documents. Jimmy, let's talk specifically about the 201. And I think what I'm most interested in, I think many of our listeners will know that the 201 is updated every 10 years, I think on the on the sevens. What's, what's the process by which that document is revised? The A201 is the general conditions document. It's updated every 10 years on the sevens. So usually, you know, in the, the year that ends with seven or eight, it's easy for construction attorneys to get their CLE requirements checked off because there's a ton of, you know, webinars and stuff out there that people talking about what's changed, what's not changed, et cetera. Uh, so um, we have to, to sort of step back a little bit. In 1888, I think I said this earlier, we had our first uniform contract, and that was what is now the A201. And beginning in the 1950s, uh, that document got a more regular revision cycle. Before the 1950s, throughout the late 1800s and early 1900s, it was just sort of updated ad hoc, sort of whenever the, you know, the, the contract documents committee would get together and say, we need to update this thing because something has changed in the industry. You know, for example, typewriters uh, came about in the, I think the mid to late 1880s. So they started printing it on you know, legal size paper, you know, just little things like that. In the 1950s, it started to get updated with some regularity uh, throughout. And, and what they eventually decided on was the year that ended in sevens. So the family of documents, which we call the conventional family, is everything that is tangentially related to the A201. So any document that's going to reference the A201, anything in a traditional design, bid, build project, we really try and update those all together so that there's not funky cross-references and you know referencing old documents. If there's a concept we need to put in there, those are all updated together. So how it works is there's a contract documents committee. It's 30 to 40 industry professionals. We have architects, we have insurance liaisons, we have outside counsel, and then owners, representatives, people who work for contractors, engineers, and of course the people in my position, the in-house, the content specialists, the managers, councils, directors, et cetera, at the AI contract documents. We all work together over the course of you know the 10 years to update these contracts and actually an interesting tidbit is the i'm sure most attorneys out there at some point have read or referenced williston on contracts you know it's it was on all of our shelves in law school at some point or another and sam williston served as one of the outside legal counsels to the AIA contract documents program uh, in 1910. He he reviewed what was then the A201 and gave it his seal of approval uh, and said, you know, everything in here should be enforceable. Uh, And he, um, so he served as one of the initial uh, outside legal counsels, which was sort of an interesting thing that I learned. It's a very high compliment. One of the things I've been curious about when it comes to revisions of the 201, do do you look at recent court decisions and what judges have said about particular provisions? Oh, absolutely. So the, the A201 was last updated in 2017. And beginning, you know, the day after that A201 was was published, people started using it. So eventually, 
those projects, something's going to happen. It's going to start to work its way through the court system. And those decisions that evaluate that language make their way to our desks. So that is uh, quite literally uh, one of the really cornerstones of my job and the job of the attorneys on our team is we keep our finger on the pulse of the industry and the decisions that come out and say, how are judges interpreting this? How are they looking at it? How are practitioners using it? How is it being edited, et cetera? So then we know in the lead up to 2027 what we need to change. So we look at, you know, if anything. So we need to, we look at court decisions. We get emails and phone calls over the course of the, the entire decade that this thing is out there from practitioners in the industry who will say, listen, you know, I've, I think I found something that doesn't work, or I really like the way this is worded, or, you know, can you explain this? Can you clarify it? And we keep all of that in a really organized filing system so that in 2024, 2025, which is when we will start the process, it's a two to three year process of updating the A201, we bring that file out and say, okay, this is where we start. And then we update it, we make the first pass at a revision and say, okay, this is what we think you know, a good starting point might be. And then two years to 18 months before it gets published, we send it out to liaisons. So we send it out to people who are on the American College of Construction Lawyers, the ABA Forum on Construction Law. We send it out to owners, developers, architects, contractors, everybody to say, here is what we're thinking of doing. What do you think? And then we get back all that feedback and say, okay, this is what everyone's thinking about our proposed changes. We incorporate those. We'll go through that process a couple of times and then eventually it'll get published. So it's, it's a very long, in-depth down to we'll have hours long debates within our team and the committee about where we put a comma and whether or not, you know, a certain word needs to be capitalized or not or whatever. So when you pull that 8201 off the shelf literally every word has been negotiated, vetted, litigated, et cetera. So you know you're starting from a good platform. You know, that discussion raised in my mind a continuing problem in the world of dispute resolution, the construction industry, and that is that so many of these disputes are referred to arbitration. And of course, arbitrations are generally speaking private proceedings. Is the AIA doing anything or can they do anything to learn about how arbitrators might be interpreting some of this language. Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of the easiest ways we'll learn about something is, you know, you, you, know, you sign up for Westlaw or Lexis notifications. So when they use the phrase AI contract document or something, you just get a little email. That, that's, that's very easy. You know, we have that set up and we're good to go. But like you said, if something is mediated or, or arbitrated, then you don't really know. So that's why all of us uh, in our team are heavily involved in the ABA Forum on Construction Law. We have a lot of industry contacts so that we know we can go out to those industry groups and say, hey, you know, have you had experience with this? If you're arbitrating something, you need to tell us you know, if something's working, if something is not working, so that we can then put that into the revision cycle next time around because uh, you know we we might not get a published opinion notification if it's arbitrated for example which is exactly that issue you raised does the AIA have any sense of how many millions or billions of dollars per year of construction is done uh, with their contracts um 
Probably. <laughs> um, if, if we do, I haven't seen it in a while. Um, I mean, we get just general figures about how many contracts using our software, we can sort of tell how many contracts are uploaded and finalized using the software. But in terms of dollars, uh, you know, projects under development right now, I'm, if we do, I don't know. How many contracts are being uploaded? How, how frequently is your website being dinged for X or Y agreements? A lot. <laughs> it's interesting to see, you know, one, one of the more interesting things that we see is one of the things that maybe I didn't fully appreciate before I started working at the AI was a construction litigator representing mostly general contractors. I was very familiar with, you know, the A201, the A101, for example. So I always kind of figured that was the most popular uh, AI document. And to some extent it is, but what you sort of don't realize is that for every one A101, A201 prime agreement that's out there, there's 20, 30, 50 pay applications um, and maybe 40 or 50 change orders that go along with that. So those forms are very popular. And it's just for that reason that there are, you, you have to have a lot of them on every project and they're very specific, updated usually monthly. Uh, I think that's how we set it up in our agreements. That can be changed, obviously, depending upon which subscription level you have to our contracts or whatever. You can, you can modify some, you can't modify others, uh, et cetera. But um, it's those little, you know, corresponding and affiliated documents that really are are heavily used, which was interesting to learn, uh, you know, getting an uh, insider's look at the AI program. I know the AI has invested a lot into its website, and this might be a good time to ask a little bit, how does it work for the practitioner when they reach into the website and then they want to modify documents? I know you have a system. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So um, we call it ACD, AI contract documents, and then the version number. So right now we're on ACD 5, and that's the current version of our software. And when you go on the website, you can get there through AIcontracts.org. When you go to purchase, you, it brings you there. And you can purchase different levels of the agreement. So, you know, again, as a, as a practitioner, I was sort of go on the website, grab the Word version of A101, A201, and then start editing heavily, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes not at all. But you can purchase just you know, a PDF of that document if, if you feel like you don't need to edit it, or you can get one that only has the fill points that you can fill in, and maybe the project name, et cetera, uh, and you can go from there. So there's different degrees. And then when you're done, uh, you can negotiate it back and forth, et cetera. When you're done, you upload it back into the software and it generates, it's called the finalization process is the term that we use. It generates for you a you know, what's sort of commonly referred to as a red line uh, or a track changes version where you can see everything that's been changed in the document. And the reason for that is most practitioners out there are pretty familiar with the AI documents. If you're using them, if you're in the software, et cetera, you, you kind of know like, okay, if this, if I'm looking at the document, you know, Buzz, you and I were talking before the show about substantial completion. So you kind of know where the substantial completion terms live in the document and you sort of generally know how they work. So if you go through that document, you see a lot of red in the substantial completion section, you know where the focus is, uh, where the other side wants to focus their attention and therefore where you need to. So that's why the software is set up to um, generate a compare version at the finalization stage so that everyone's on the same page. You can't kind of sneak something through without the other side being aware of it. 
I'm interested in the fact that last time I looked, there are literally dozens of books, papers, large articles that, that discuss changes as they evolve and problems and issues. Talk a little bit about who's publishing that sort of thing and the AIA's participation in those kinds of texts. There is, like you said, there is a lot that's written all the time about uh, the AI documents. So the w- one of the, the main organizations that puts out really valuable text on that is the ABA. The ABA Forum on Construction Law puts out, a, I actually have it sitting on my desk right now, every time a big family of our documents are updated. And there's really three of them. So we talked about the, the conventional family the years that end in seven, that set of documents is updated. The next big update are the years that end in nine. That's the CM, the construction manager, um, either you know CMA or CMC. Those documents are updated. And then the years that end in four are design build. Uh, so we are gearing up for the design build release in 2024. We're going to update the DB design build docs. And right after that, organizations like the ABA Forum, and then, you know, just attorneys practicing will publish things, treatises, Bruner and O'Connor, for example, publishes a lot, uh, just interpreting the contracts themselves. So there is a lot out there. And most of the time, we are brought into that process you know, in, in varying degrees and varying ways. So brought in just sort of as a heads up, they're writing something, maybe we'll ask to review it. Maybe we're asked for, you know, to, for, so they can get a license to republish some of our forms uh, in their works, et cetera. So that's one of the really valuable things is there's a lot out there that you can, as a practicing attorney, you can quickly go and find a decent amount quickly interpreting whatever clause you happen to be litigating. If I'm a construction practicer, uh, practitioner, excuse me, uh, somewhere out in the country and I want to get a comment into the AIA or talk to somebody there about a provision, how do I do that? We deal with that all the time. And it's one of the more interesting aspects of my job is we rotate who's in charge of that. But we just get questions. I got one this morning, uh, somebody asking how the allowance um, feature is intended to work in the conventional set of documents that we have. So you can go on our website or you can just email us, docinfo, D-O-C-I-N-F-O, at AIA.org. And that email is intended for that exact purpose. If you are out there and you're like, you know what? I don't know how this clause is intended to work or how is this pay application supposed to work or even questions, you know, we get questions from non-lawyers who are just saying, you know, I'm a contractor and I want to modify my agreement somehow. How do I do that? And we just quickly send them back and say, hey, we have a form for that. It's the G701 change order. Here you go. And some of them get really, really specific. I was going back and forth with a practitioner, I think out of uh, Louisiana a couple of months ago about builder's risk insurance and how there was specific coverage laid out in the exhibit A to the A101, the insurance exhibit. It was a fascinating question and it's one that we archived. And in 2027, we're going to take a look at that question and say, you know, do we have to make a change based on this person's question? So you, in in asking a question, you may unknowingly alter the trajectory of one of our documents, which is really cool. Uh, It's a really cool aspect of what I do. I got a couple of paragraphs I'm going to call you on now that you mentioned <laughs> that. Jimmy, before we uh, leave for the day, I'm interested in where's the AIA going? What's in the foreseeable future? Where, where do you think that you need to go to um, aid the construction industry and help us practitioners out there in the field? 
Well, one of the things that we're working on right now, so I'm working with the group that it's sort of easy to know where we're going in a sense, because every document that we have has a year at the end of it, and they're all updated for the most part on a 10-year cycle. So those that end in a 21 or a 2 or a 3, they're probably coming up for updating. So for example, the BIM documents, the Building Information Modeling, they were last updated in 2013. So I'm working with the, a group right now and updating the BIM documents. And you can only imagine the amount of change that's occurred in the industry with respect to BIM since 2013, when we were all walking around with you know, flip phones, if we even had a cell phone, um, and now everything is digital. Uh, so the, the updates to those documents are incredibly interesting and, and dealing with those experts and working with them and learning from them has been incredibly fascinating. And I'm, I'm really excited to see those documents come out when they are eventually published because I think they're going to be really, really cool. So to answer your question, you know, the BIM documents, obviously we are, we just released a new warranty bond, for example, that was, that's relatively new. And we have some stuff on our website about how that's intended to work. We're publishing um, documents intended to be used when there's design assist or delegated design uh, going on. And we worked with the with AISC on developing a white paper surrounding that topic because it's really confusing. We get a lot of questions from people about what's the difference between, you know, informal assistance in design, design assist, delegated design, and then, you know, full-on design. It's There's a whole lot of gray in there. So we tried to engage in some thought leadership with the industry and say, this is where, when we put our finger on the pulse of the industry, this is where we think the delineations are. And not only explaining that, but then creating contracts and contract exhibits to represent where those lines are. Uh, So those are a couple examples of where we're going. And then obviously the big lift we have coming up is 2024, all of our design build. So progressive design build, you probably hear that a little bit. That's getting a little bit of traction right now. So we're going to you know, probably look at that a little bit. Where the industry is going is very important for us to know, to look at and then decide how do we modify to really keep up the pace with the industry. Our guest has been James Jimmy Germano, Manager and Counselor for AIA Contract Documents. Jimmy, that was fantastic. I learned a lot. Thanks so much. And we might have you come back and and talk to us again. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Buzz. I appreciate it. You have been listening to Construction Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Forum on Construction Law. All rights relating to this podcast are owned and controlled by the American Bar Association. No reproduction or reuse of this podcast is permissible without the expressed written consent of the American Bar Association. For more information about Construction Law Today, or if you have any questions or comments, you may contact our host, Buzz Tarlow, jtarlow at lawmt.com. Our podcast is produced with the assistance of Peak Recording Studios in Bozeman, Montana. Thank you for listening and look for our next edition of Construction Law Today.